Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. There's an interesting piece in First Things that uh, is running today on their uh, website by Gary Saul Morrison, uh, an author who I'm not familiar with, but he makes many good points uh, in his piece. Uh, It's on the cancellation of Russian culture. Uh, and he points out there are many ways to end a conversation. You know, you can kind of bring the curtain down on a conversation. If you say, well, look, that's what God told me, right? Or that's what God says. Well, who the heck's going to challenge that, right? I mean, that's, that kind of ends the conversation. It, same thing happens uh, today when you say, look, I'm only following the science. You know. Another way is to say, um, I see this, see this, of course, in Catholic circles, but certain political discussions are ended by simply saying, well, you know, that person supports abortion, don't you? Now, look, <laughs> I believe in God, I believe in science, and I oppose abortion. But if someone tries to end the conversation by simply saying, God told me, or that science tells us, or that this speaker is discredited because he supports abortion— I simply want to know, how did God say it? Uh, What scientists are claiming that the science says thus and so? And what does so-and-so support for abortion have to do with what we're talking about? Those are all ways to kind of end the conversation as though there is nothing more to be said or nothing more to be understood. Now, there's another way that I've noticed that people are silencing conversation today. It's when one says, well, I have moral clarity on that. That's a, that's a signal, you know, it's supposed to say it's settled. No further discussion is necessary. And when an issue is declared morally clear, well, the implication is that only the immoral could, could entertain any doubt about it. And it divides the world up very nicely into the goods and the evils, and there can be no conscientious skeptic, uh, nobody on the fence, because, well, we have moral clarity on this. And, of course, when people are unqualifiedly evil, well, anything they say about anything uh, is to be doubted. And, in fact, anything you do to them might, in fact, become justified. But that's how the Soviet Union used to operate, right? It's also how leftist activists who call for revolution today that's how they act as well. This, <laughs> do you remember every vote in the Soviet parliament was unanimous and elections offered only one candidate? I mean, the very idea in this former Soviet Union of raising the other side of an issue um, was considered to be a part of the bourgeois West. Uh, and if you listen to these leftists today who are calling for revolution, and yes, they are still there doing it. Uh, they'll tell you, if you try to say, well, look, can we look at the other side of this? They'll say that you're simply anti-revolutionary, that you're defending the status quo, that you lack revolutionary consciousness, that you prefer the red pill to the blue pill <laughs> for those who live within the world of the matrix. Now, look, we should be confident in our position if we've thought it through, prayed it through. But that's no reason to think that there's no more thinking to be done regarding our position. I oppose Putin's use of violence to get what he wants in Ukraine. Absolutely. This is the most serious breach of uh, the normal rules of nations 
that we've seen since the Second World War. But I also know that every Russian leader since Gorbachev has said that they could not tolerate Ukraine becoming part of NATO. Putin, rather than being simply a mad dog foaming at the mouth, insanely gobbling up territory, you know, he might actually be pursuing a geopolitical objective that Russian leaders have asserted from Gorbachev on. And the last thing we need is to assume that once we are confident in our position, that there's no more thinking that can be done to understand what the other person is doing here. You know, as a Christian, the more certain I am of a position, the more I need to understand why otherwise sane and good people might disagree with me. I mean, why would otherwise sane and good people assess the evidence differently than I do? We're always complaining about confirmation bias in news reporting. Uh, And even now, uh, with my opposition to Putin, I'm troubled that virtually all the large networks are sounding like they're instruments of U.S. foreign policy the way Pravda used to serve the Soviet Union's aims. I want the U.S. media to pursue stories that help me understand all the different sides of these issues that I'm living within. I want to know what the Russians are thinking. I want to know what Russians are thinking. I want to know why Putin is so hell-bent on conducting this war in a way that might lead to war crimes charges that has already led to him being an international pariah I also want to know what will NATO do if Russian forces lob a bomb into Poland and then claim it was an accident. What I don't want is the mindset which says everything Ukraine is good and everything Russian is bad. You know, everything the United States does to help Ukraine is good and everything that's done to stigmatize Putin and Russia is good, right? Everything done by Putin and Russia is bad. Now, look. The overwhelming majority of Americans and Europeans are siding with the Ukraine. And when you've got such an overwhelming number of people claiming moral clarity, that's the time to remember who we are as a free people. I just watched the PBS documentary, The Great War, looking at World War I, and I was reminded of just how mean-spirited Americans were to fellow Americans of German heritage. The U.S. legal historian Paul Finkelman said that at the outbreak of the war, this again, the First World War, about 1914, right, 25% of all high school students in America studied German. And by the end of the war, only 1% of high schools even taught it. During the war, the argument was made by many that if you learn German, you'll become like the Hun. That was the pejorative term for Germans. Uh, If you were a German-American, you were suspect because a hyphenated American was a dangerous American. And and there are real consequences to this. Uh, Hans Kuhnwald, the concertmeister of the Cincinnati Symphony Orchestra, was actually interned during the war. The German language was forbidden in the U.S. The German-American press was heavily censored. Libraries had to pull German books off the shelves. German-American organizations were targeted. And in the most, uh, the ugliest act, on April 4th of 1918, Robert Prager, a German immigrant, was lynched in Collinsville, Illinois. Now, uh, you know, he was also a socialist. He was involved in labor disputes. Uh, But Prager did profess his love for America, kiss the flag that his tormentors had wrapped him in, uh, even as they were pushing him to the edge of town to a hanging tree. Now, I find it hard to imagine that 
anybody listening to this program is going to be supporting the lynching of a Russian-American today. And I don't expect that that's what we're going to see in the United States. But around the world, in the spirit of moral clarity, anything Russian has become morally suspect. I mean, Morrison in this First Things piece gives us a list of very troubling incidents, and thankfully most of them are outside the United States. But in the Netherlands, a Russian grocery store was vandalized, a Russian Orthodox church was defaced, and a Russian school was intimidated into going offline. And listen to this. The Russian supermarket, it specialized in food from many Eastern European countries. It could more accurately be called a Slavic supermarket than a Russian supermarket, but the Armenian owner explained that nobody knows what Slavic means anymore. The Russian church, well, they were collecting money for Ukrainian Christians. Um, And the Russian school uh, served Estonian uh, and Ukrainian students. You know, people think that the Russian language is spoken only in Russia, the director said. Um, A Russian medical student in Amsterdam, here's another story. He actually fled Russia, described how time and again he has had to explain that there are good Russians as well as bad Russians. In fact, a large number of Russians opposed to the present situation have now become refugees. A Dutch news source reported that uh, Prime Minister Mark Rutte called on the Dutch last Tuesday to stop verbal abuse against Russians. Um, Some Russian performers, uh, public figures, are being forced to publicly declare opposition to Putin in order to perform. So when the Vancouver Recital Society canceled a concert by Russian pianist Alexander Molotov, uh, excuse me, Molotov, winner of the 2014 International Tchaikovsky Competition for Young Musicians, the Society's founder and director... Lila Getz explained that the society could not present a concert by any Russian artist at this moment in time um, unless that uh, artist would speak out publicly against the war. Well, this particular artist, (laughs) far from supporting Putin's actions, said that every Russian will feel guilty for decades to come because of the terrible and bloody decision that none of us could influence or predict. And all the same, he believes that this uh, uh, director's actions are morally wrong because, you know, many times uh, Russians who are in the free world now, and remember we're beginning to call Russia an unfree world, Russians who are in the free world right now have, have to fear that what might happen to relatives who live back in the Russian Federation. Um, I do think it, it's... I mean, there's a whole list of these things, and we'll have them posted for you in the Crest of Guest archives. But it seems to me that really basic Christian teaching applies here. The Christian is called to even love one's enemies, and that means making a point to try to understand our enemy. We flee Satan, and we don't try to understand Satan, right? We flee. But human beings who are in the grip of error or hatred are still those we're called to understand and love. And free people can do that in ways that unfree people uh, cannot. Remember, during the United States, during the Cold War, we didn't stop learning Russian or learning about the Soviet Union. That's when Russian studies first flourished. Russian language began to be widely taught in secondary schools, in colleges, you had the National Defense Foreign Language Act, which included Russia as a, Russian as a critical language. The very fact that the United States 
um, uh, perceived the Soviet Union as a mortal enemy meant that free Americans should know more, not less, about Russian culture. And it was also hoped that great literature and great art, uh, which everyone could share, might in fact bring people together. And I think that, you know, at times like this, where uh, some people can go off the deep end and certain prejudices and biases can run ragged, these are the times when we need to pray, as St. Paul did, that God can do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to that Holy Spirit that works in us. So, remembering again, the basic principle of loving your enemies means understanding them.